Let us pray. Father God, thank you for your presence among us. Lord, find our hearts, our minds, our souls, our very very beings. Um, Find them open to you. Draw us closer to you, God. Help us to seek you first. Um, Seek the kingdom of God first. And Lord, I just pray that uh, you will take these words that I bring and uh, speak to your people. And Lord, we thank you for the words of scripture that you give to us, Lord. And, and may we just take those in today, tomorrow, and for the rest of our days. And we pray these things in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Oh, good, it's going. I thought I really messed this thing up, so I said I better, I better start praying. So uh, God, miracle, he's already done one miracle. So we'll see what else, well... See what else he, he, he may have in store. So, let's see. The screen says, well, the bottom line is right. I am Steve Kennedy, so you do have the right person. Um, and it's not anybody's fault other than, I guess, mine. But I don't think my sermon's going to have anything to do with uh, power in uh, his name or, or Jesus' name like it's on, on your bulletin. Because they... Janet and, uh, and Tanya are very vigilant in asking for a sermon title because they have to get these things out on, on Monday, and, and I'm just not on that schedule, especially since I preached at Christ our Savior on Sunday. I had no idea what I was going to preach on. I, I did give them the title. I don't know, but God knows, but they didn't want to go with that, but it was really initially... I think, they kinda, I, think I kind of gave it away when I said, I don't know what I'd be preaching on, so... You know, it started there, then I was actually starting to kind of think about that, and I looked at the, the bulletin yesterday, and I said, I guess I better, I better lose that, because, you know, I was going to maybe draw on that, because Lord knows, I certainly don't know a lot, but, uh, but God, God does. So, I have zeroed in on a passage, and it may not be the passage that you would guess that I would be, I would be preaching on, so um, I, won't, I quizzed them at 8 o'clock, so, because... I get you guys laugh a little more than they do, and there's more people. So I thought, well, we'll try that. They they kind of like that. So, um, but um, actually, as I I think about it, and I kind of stepped in it at the eight o'clock at the end of my ser- sermon, I said, um, I'm not preaching on on the gospel, and I'm actually not going to preach on James. Um, and I've been known, I, you know, I was kind of I couldn't. I, I've had trouble this month. What am I going to preach on? What am I going to preach on? And, I'm, and I've had to do, I had to preach at Los Angeles Mission a week and a half ago. So then I had to really get zeroing in because I only got like two, two days notice that I was going to be preaching um, about that. So, so it kind of helped. And even with this, because I've known and I've been thinking about it. And, and, um, and numbers is a, I, I kind of like numbers because poor old numbers only shows up. This is numbers one Sunday in three years. So, and I go, and I did preach on that anywhere from 9 to 12 years ago when I was uh, much, uh, much younger and had brown hair back then. Um, so, but I've come back to numbers, so that's actually where I'm going to be. Um, so I can say this with confidence, I'm preaching on something Father Jose hasn't preached on in at least the last three years, so I'm on good ground there. So well, let's, let's get after it, because uh, some of you came to hear a sermon and not me just, uh, you know, um, babble on like 
the rabble in our story. Um, and we'll, we'll get to them. We'll get to them in a minute. Let's just briefly, you know, set the scene of where we're at. Actually, in Numbers 9, we're told that we're a year after the Exodus, after God has delivered uh, the people Israel um, from the hand of King Pharaoh and the Egyptians. So they've been free for a year. And with God as their, as their leader, God has been their God. God was their God all while they were in slavery, but now they are not enslaved to any human. So, and they've just, they've celebrated the Passover. And then as we get to <clears throat> either a nine or 10, it tells us that we are, they're, they're near Mount Sinai. They're in the wilderness and Mount Sinai is that place where God gave uh, Moses the 10 commandments. And in our passage in, in chapter 11, Moses tells us that there's 600 men. And so that means we've got 2 million people or more. There's a lot of people with their family, the, the women and the children. And then also the Lord, prior to this, Numbers tells us that the Lord is present with his people. And there's a tabernacle, an Ark of the Covenant, Tent of Meeting, the same place where the Ten Commandments, the two tablets are, are kept. And that's where God's presence resides with his people and this tabernacle. From this tabernacle, God has his cloud over there to tell the Israelites. He guides them, tells them when it's time to travel and when it's time to stay in camp. And they've gone for, for a year and they've been protected. They've been kept secure and Moses, at the end of chapter 10, verse 35, uh, there's a chant or a, that, that Moses says when the camp, all of Israel, is going to be on the move. And Moses said, rise up, O Lord, let your enemies be scattered, and let those who hate you flee before you. And he also says something when they stay put. So that now gets us to chapter 11, and I kind of looked at the whole chapter, although I'm not going to speak about, uh, I most likely won't speak about Eldad and Medad because I'll just keep going on with these names. You know, we got He-Dad and She-Dad and uh, Bo-Dad and you know, I could go on and on and on. So I better stay away from that. So that also will not really bring me, you know, in touch with the gospel. I don't think, I have something written in about that, but I don't think it really fits and, uh, you know, I only have so much time, so I won't, uh, won't, won't go there. But um, chapter 11 starts, and what are the people doing? They are complaining. And I think um, they're complaining about the difficult life, the hardships they, had, they have right now. They're in the wilderness. That's not an easy place to be. There certainly aren't all these fruits and vegetables and all these things that they will say that they loved when they were in Egypt, and Egypt is a very fertile place. But they had God, and God, you know, fed them. But also understand all these people, I mean, other than, well, little ba the, the little people born one, two years old, they're not, they're not going to know anything. All of these people, they were in slavery in Egypt, so I'm sure they still are suffering under that. So, it's not been an easy life for them, but they are free, thanks to the Lord. And then, as we get to our reading, 
we read that, starting in verse 4, that the Israelites were also sick of eating the same food. I mean, maybe sick isn't the right word. They're tired. It's the same stuff every single day. It's this thing called manna. It's bread from heaven. And our passage skips over. This is, they, they make this into, it might be a little flavorful cake. might taste like olive oil and all of that. That's, God would pour this thing down. Um, we first read about it in Exodus, I think starting in chapter 16. God would rain this down every day. And they would make this into pastries and cakes. He would give them enough just for the day. And then on the, the, the day before the Sabbath, God would give them enough for two days so they didn't have to work. They could rest on the Sabbath. That's what they ate. And they got tired of that. And I can certainly relate, and probably everybody else does. I don't want to eat the same. You know, after, during the week, I kind of get tired. If, if it's a week I'm going to eat breakfast all the time, I'm not having pancakes or eggs. I'm having cereal, and I do get tired of it. And I work at Los Angeles Mission, and they've mixed up the menu now, but it used to be the, uh, the people in the program, the men would get, can we have something besides oatmeal every day? And that would be kind of like, we called that oatmeal was like the mission's manna, you know, from heaven. But it is food and, and it's, it's sustenance, which is what they have. And then they go on. I mean, you've got, um, you know, they're non-Israelites that we read about. The rabble, I think, is what our passage calls them. My King James says the mixed multitude. So there are some non-Israelites there. They're the ones who are doing the complaining, but it's the whole clan because the Bible talks about it's every, every family. As you read, I think it's in verse 10. Then Moses heard the people weeping throughout their families, everyone at the door of his tent. So they're all in on this. And then they ask, who will feed us meat? We remember the free fish. Well, they would go into the canals and waterways that could get this fish um, that we ate in Egypt. And then, you know, they fed us cucumbers and melons and leeks and onions and garlic. Mmm, that was good. But now our appetite's gone. All we have is this manna. It's the only thing we have to look at. Okay, you know, it's fine, I guess, you know, or... I, you know, may, you may think it's maybe not that bad to be complaining about the food that you eat, but it goes beyond this. They're really rebelling against the Lord. And when they say this and they long for what they had in Egypt, is it a stretch to say that maybe they want to be subject to King Pharaoh in Egypt so they could eat this great food or instead of being under the lordship of the Lord their God and being free people. So God is angry. That verse 10, it says, the anger of the Lord was greatly aroused and Moses was also displeased. So before I go further, I just want to say before I just sound like I'm banging on the, the Israelites, there's lessons here for us. Certainly, we know we have needs and we have wants. They want this better food. But God is giving them what they need. And it's really, there isn't, what do they have? There's, as I threw out the number, there's two million people. They're in the wilderness. Yeah, they have flocks of sheep. And they have herds of cattle. And, you know, when 
when that subject comes up with Moses, how can, you fi- how can we possibly feed all these people meat? There isn't a, we don't have anywhere near enough. They're in the wilderness. There's just not all this rich vegetation all around like there was in Egypt. But God provided the food and the drink uh, that they needed. And they, he provided them all that they needed to live on. Because they've been going for a year. And they're free. And they're safe. They're protected by the Lord. But they're doing what I do and is so easy for us to do as people. They're looking at what they don't have rather than what they do have. And they're also lusting after things that they, they don't have and looking beyond God's gracious and merciful provision. Because there's more important things. I mean, I like to eat well. We, who doesn't like to have a really good meal? And God has blessed us so richly. But there's more important things than that. And our Lord Jesus teaches us that. And He shows us that. When He fasted in the wilderness for 40 days, as He was withstanding the temptations of the devil. And remember one of Jesus' replies to Satan. When Satan knows that Jesus hasn't eaten and isn't been eating for a long, for days. And Jesus replies to Satan when he tells him, go feast on this. And Jesus says, man does not live on bread alone, but in every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus knew that there was more to life than eating. And Jesus knows we need those material things. And he told us that in the the Sermon on the Mount, that God knows this. And that God will provide because God cares for the the lilies of the field and the little birds that fly in the air. He provides for them. How much more will he provide for human beings whom he created in his image and and whom he loves so much? And then just that whole complaining. And I have that, both reading this and then reading, reading James as I was you know, starting yes, when I was looking at the, all these, these passages kind of together um, for see how if I was going to do some drawing together of them, I was really convicted because I think, you know, in, in my job, I'm one of the leaders at Los Angeles Mission in charge of the finances and human resources and things. So I'm supposed to critically assess things, but I think more recently, you know, this, I was like, you know, I think you've been com- probably complaining a little more, and then some do a couple, you know, close, you know, colleagues, and, you know, that can be a, uh, you know, it's a, it's a line, and it can be challenging, but first and foremost, I need to take those things to God, certainly in prayer, ask Him for guidance, and then, you know, what to do, and then, of course, going directly to the person that I'm supposed to go to, that might be, you know, might be my boss, you know, rather than possibly to, you know, some colleagues. But in, in this case, you know, they're complaining, and, and first and foremost, the people are complaining to God, but Moses is the leader, the human leader that they see. So that's the person that they complain to, and this takes a big toll on Moses. And the, the passage tells us that he became provoked and upset, and then he asked the Lord, why have you brought such trouble on your servant, me, Are you angry with me? I didn't bring all these people into the world. Why do you burden me with all these people? I can't carry all these people 
by myself. They're too much for me. I'm sure God is just going, thank you, Moses. I didn't realize any of that. I had, I had no idea that you didn't create these people, that you can't handle the burden. Wow, thank you, Moses. Now maybe I can figure out what to do. No. Moses, and I, that drew me back to Exodus chapter 4 after Moses had been called by God at the burning bush. And God told Moses, I'm going to send you to Pharaoh and you're going to tell Pharaoh, the mightiest king in the world, you're going to let my people go. And Moses objected and objected. And then he says, well, I can't speak. And then God goes, I know what you can and can't do and say. I made your mouth. I made these people. I, I know these things, Moses. Um, and then, like kind of what he did after God kind of removed every objection and Moses said, I don't want to go. So Moses kind of, you know, throws up another one. God, if you're going to treat me like this, please kill me right now. Interesting. Well, God was, I guess you could say, gracious and merciful because he didn't do what, uh, what Moses told him to do. And I don't... I don't say this to, you know, be overly critical of Moses. Moses was a great man. He was a gifted leader, but he was a human, a human being with human limitations and flaws, just like any other person and any other important person that we read about in the Bible. And I just want to list off a few of them, mostly Old Testament, we, you know, where we read. And that's one of the great things I love about the Old Testament, especially we get to see some great men, some great women, but we also see they made mistakes and, and they have flaws too. Abraham, he was deceitful. I mean, he was the father of all nations, but his wife Sarah was pretty. So a couple times, because he was fear, fearful for his life, he told them, this is my sister. And then his wife Sarah doubted God when God said when she was, what, about 80 years old, 90, 80 or 90 years old, that you're going to give birth to a son. She'd been barren for years. And Sarah doubted. Then we have Jacob. We have Israel from Jacob. Jacob's name was changed to Israel. And yet Jacob cheated his older brother Esau out of his birthright. And then now fast forward to the New Testament, the disciple Peter. What did he do? What it was one of his great or not so great things that he did. He denied even knowing Jesus three times when Jesus was about to go to the cross. So now let's go back to Moses because, of course, one man, this man Moses, cannot take care of all the Israelites. But did the Lord ask Moses to do that? No, he didn't ask him to do that. The Lord only asked Moses to obey his commands and to be a spokesman and leader <clears throat> of the people, Israel. So if I want to find a little, or just, you know, analyzing this, Moses should have asked the Lord for help rather than complaining like the rest of the Israelites. But he did go right to God with his problems, which is always the best thing to do, even at whatever state we're in, because God knows we wouldn't have a lot of the psalms that we have if God didn't want us to go to him with our burdens and even with our complaints. And it may not always, you know, may not sound the best way to go bring it about. But our God 
always wants to hear from his people. So can you all relate to Moses? Anybody not? I certainly can. I think, I, as I said, I told you, you know, in the last one about some of my, my complaints. And then the need to go first and foremost to God in prayer and to ask him for guidance and to bring valid concerns, you know, to whatever humans we, we should. And then, and even it's just like in our personal lives, our, our health, when we just don't know how we're going to carry on. God can and does sustain it. And you have witnesses around you in your life about that, testifying to the power of God in human beings. We have them here uh, in our midst. And as, 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 and as Moses you know, looks at this, both, how can he handle, I mean, you got one man, you have two million people. Even if you take the 600,000 men, that's a lot of people to be looking after. And then the whole issue, the people want food that they, they don't have. They want meat. Well, Moses, another thing that he falls prey to, which is a challenge for me and I think for many of us, is we look too much at ourselves as both the cause of our situation and as the solution into how we can solve difficult problems, overwhelming situations that we face. Because Moses, when he speaks to the Lord, he seems to think that the Lord was mad at him. He says, what have I done to displease you? Well, was the Lord, did the Lord say that he was mad at Moses? No. He was very angry at the people. And our passage skips, you know, before in verses 1 to 3. I think lightning bolts or something comes to the edge of the camp and some of those complainers are killed. And at the end, God has sent so much quail for them to eat the meat that they're looking for that a number of people die. People who've rejected and rebelled against God. He wasn't mad at Moses. And as I said before, he wasn't asking Moses to do what he couldn't do. And I like how pastor and Bible scholar Raymond Brown uh, says it when he writes, when things are hard in leadership, we must ask ourselves whether we have been trying to shoulder God's responsibilities instead of fulfilling our own. Now you may say, I'm not a leader. I don't lead people on my job. I don't lead, I'm not in a leadership position at the church. Well, I might argue that probably most of the people and maybe all the people in this room, you are leaders in, in some way. If you have children, you've led them at, at some point. You may still. If you've got a brother or sister, you may be. Some brothers and sisters, they are leaders of the rest of their, of their siblings. You may have friends. And even if it's on a small sense, you help someone in their walk with Christ. Help them just deal with all the difficulties of life. Illness, come alongside them. I say that we all have, we all lead people. We all, and a call, and Father Jose certainly speaks a lot about this, sharing the gospel, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ. That can be leading people to come to know Christ, leading people to grow as disciples. When we're in just other Christians, we lead each other, we help each other to grow 
in our walk with Christ. We are taking on some leadership type activities. Or, and then there are some in here who do lead people. And as the Lord does, Moses has some real concerns, problems, big problems. Things that are impossible for him to do. And God gives him an answer, as God so often does. When his people, even when his people don't necessarily directly ask him to do that. And the Lord tells Moses in Numbers 11, and he also provided the same solution back in Exodus chapter 18. He told Moses to bring 70 of his elders and leaders of the people to the tabernacle. And so when Moses did this, the Lord poured out his divine spirit that was on Moses. He took some of that and he put it on these 70 men who were brought there. And the Lord did this to consecrate these 70 men to help Moses lead the people, to carry the burdens of the people. It can be handled pastoral responsibilities and maintaining lists and regulations, God's laws, and, and really writing down the words that God had spoken that we see that come to, uh, to be in the first five books of the Bible and, and other things. And then we also read that these 70 men prophesied words of the Lord. But they did this just one time. They didn't prophesy again. And I, this is, a, I think, a sign of these people, being, these men being set apart by God and also publicly recognized among the people for this service unto the Lord and to help Moses and to be spirit-empowered leaders. Although their empowerment came from God to Moses, you know, to these men on what to do. And that's not all. God gave him that help. But then he also provided a solution to the people's complaints about meat. Because the people amazingly said, we really had it good in Egypt. Who is going to feed us meat? So the Lord tells Moses, yeah, I'm going to do it. So I'm sure the first day, all this quail is around. And what happens is, you know, there's that anointing of the Spirit, and the Hebrew word, word is ruach, and then that word also it means spirit, but it also, and that's spirit of God, and then you also have wind. That word means wind. And so God sends a wind, a ruach, in that pushes this quail down to about three feet so that they're all over the place so that the people can get all this quail. There's so much, they use words like homer and bushels, baskets full of this quail. So I'm sure they're going like, all right, we got quail, which I guess is, you know, kind of chicken or duck. I'm not exactly sure. I don't think I've ever eaten it, but I was looking, you know, they, it's somewhere, you know, in the bird family. It's a little smaller. I just want to give you some, you know, some idea, you know, what it is. And so they've got all this the first day. Oh, that's great. And then what comes the next day and the next day? And God says, I'm going to give it to them for 30 days. They're going to, get, they're going to have so much of this quail. They're going to get so sick of it. It's going to come out of their nostrils because I'm sick of these people complaining. I'm angry with them. So I'm going to give them what they want. I'm going to give them so much more of it that, uh, so they really look to who, who they should be seeking. But it's also a miraculous you know, provision because all this quail is is right there for them because 
when they ask, why did we ever leave Egypt? God's taking that as they're rejecting me. And Moses couldn't believe it because he had said, you know, when God said, I'm going to do this, he goes, we don't, we don't have enough flocks of sheep and herds of cattle, and there are not enough fish in the area. And the Lord responded to Moses calmly, we're told. Is the Lord's power limited? And Moses did see that what he promised will happen. So a message, important message for us is don't, don't doubt God and just be amazed and be in awe and reverence of what this Lord can do. And that's especially important when it just doesn't seem humanly possible. Because just think about how miraculous this really is. They're in the wilderness. These, are, these things aren't there. And all this quail comes in and God's feeding them this manna. And he, we know he goes on feeding them that thing for 40 years. You know, enough of it, it just, it just comes. And I think part of God's message is, worship me. I'm the giver of great gifts. I'm, I, I have all the power that you need. And my power is, and as we know today especially, after Jesus, after Jesus' life, death, resurrection, and rising to the right hand of the Father, the Holy Spirit coming down upon us, God's power is available to us who believe in Jesus. And we just ask God to fill us and to empower us and to look at God to do what is not possible and to help us in our walk with Jesus and just walking, you know, this world. Because what we see in Numbers and what we see, we see throughout the Bible is we see a God who is patiently merciful. And in this chapter, with ungrateful, rebellious people in miraculously providing for them and just calling them His people. And while I think most of us haven't gone to that extreme in our, in our rebellion, I know I don't always put the Lord first. And that needs to be our passion. Because Jesus' words in the Sermon on the Mount, seek first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added unto you. Our God has so much. And what He does have is eternal life with Him. So no matter, and our time on this earth is short. Most likely under 100 years, maybe under 90, 80 and there's so many more years beyond that. So no matter how bad things may be, we have the promises of God for those who believe that we can live with Him forever. And that and He is with us now and makes this life so much more livable and gives us the true bread. And that's the bread from heaven, spiritual life. Amen. Amen.